Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Episode 18. Wow. Already 2021 as well, eh? Yeah, unbelievable. What a week. Uh, so first month of January, got Sheep Show. That was a freaking riot. That Holy. was a good time. I, did, yeah. I wasn't sure what to expect with it being virtual, but I, I think they knocked it out of the park. Couple of growing pains, first couple of days to be expected, but once those little bugs were dialed out, I, I think it was a success. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think uh, you know it's not sheep show. It's never going to be sheep show if it's online. But uh, I thought it was pretty. It was a good time, and I, I think they set the bar very high. Obviously, we're going to do two virtual events. We got our uh, Northern fundraiser wild sheep to conservation on February 6th mm-hmm. um, online stuff uh, one day thing. And then March 12th and 13th, we have our Kamloops wild sheep to conservation. Uh, if anyone expects it to be the level that the foundation had it, you're going to be a little disappointed, but we're going to have some different stuff, some cool stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think as well. So, but I think um, what the foundation did is they raised the bar very high um, and it showed the level of commitment and passion they have for conservation and that their members matter and they really did something special. Um, there's conservation organizations out there that just canceled everything this year, right? And, you know, that's not a criticism to them, but I think it's a testament to what the foundation's done as they put on a show to that level. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty cool, man. I, I thought it was great. Um, again, it's it's never going to replace that in-person no. event, but it was, it was a good time. They made the best of a shitty situation, right? And a the records were set when it came yeah. to, to raising money for wild sheep once again. And who, who would have expected that in, uh, in a different sort of environment, right? Where you're not face to face, you're not hooting and hollering and you don't have somebody coming over your table going, well, he's got you by a thousand bucks. Come on, don't let him get you. It was, it was unreal. And I, I was watching it live and just, floored at the commitment to conservation people were, were were throwing their dollars at it was it was just incredible it really truly was and i'm looking forward to see what we're going to do here in bc with our events the northern boys always put on one hell of a show raise some incredible dollars and we do the same down in kamloops so as we uh, program away and clunk away and build graphics and websites to get this experience going we we hope we can at least offer some sort of uh environment that can we're not going to compete by any stretch but something that will raise the same sort of commitment and dollars that uh, we're expecting to in uh, in bc for our populations here yeah absolutely and you know i think that's a testament to our wild sheep family we had this online thing and people stepped up and they opened up their wallets they supported it um records were broken on the fundraising end of things um our membership through the foundations at record levels. Um, and we're seeing that level of commitment here in BC too. Uh, our members, I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it again, they're second to none. Um, just mm-hmm. completely committed to what we're doing in terms of conservation. 
and um, you know we're super grateful and and hopefully this uh, you know our, our Kamloops and Northern thing will provide an opportunity for you know for some fun for our membership to we, we're giving to them hopefully and they're going to get something out of it and then you know with the ultimate goal of we're all here to put money on the ground for wild sheep that's why we're here and uh so the end game is to try and raise some money for for wild sheep conservation oh totally like last year 2020 we had no our events were cancelled what starting in march and we, we still managed to put two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on the ground so and that was in in one of the most disastrous years we've ever had due to no fault of our own other nonprofits were suffering other businesses have been suffering and membership still stepped up and allowed us to put that much on the ground and if we can even come close to that this year we're miles ahead yeah absolutely and actually on that note we're at a record level of membership again our, our membership number just keeps um mm-hmm. bump 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 so um we're giving away a yeti cooler once we hit that magic number of a thousand we're not too far off that now so uh somebody uh once we hit a thousand is going to win a, a yeti cooler we have our membership drive on a thousand bucks towards yeti stone glacier or um Sitka okay. gear our conservation partner so great opportunity there so if you if you're thinking about joining do it before march 13th because we're going to give away a thousand bucks in gear to one of those three so uh it's a great time to sign up never been a better time so absolutely and uh i know i'm monarched up in that time just for the for the shot at uh, the, the the prizes that have been offered as well so it's good times and speaking of fundraising our, our raffles are again screaming up as well yeah so just now we're recording this uh the week of uh January today's the 21st of January um our wild sheep raffle our our desert hunt is going to sell out we're less we're into double digit on the tickets now so less than 10% to go on that uh obviously Barney sold out and uh the grizz is not too far behind and then the antelope so I don't think it's going to see March 13th I think it'll sell no. out before that so if you're thinking about it probably is a good time to jump on it but we're also offering some smaller raffles um we just had a Corlane's rifle that's now sold out yeah. and uh four new raffles are going to pop up on the website today um and we've got a Sitka raffle we've got a Stone Glacier raffle we've got a life member raffle that involves Yeti and an antelope hunt um through Silver Sage Outfitting that's going to be a kick ass raffle and our fourth raffle is our big boar rifle that's donated by Don Lynham. And uh, tickets are going to be on sale for that as well. So we just got those four raffle licenses approved this morning. Uh, to buy those, you have to buy them online. Uh, go to wildsheepsociety.com slash raffle. Um, so that's for those raffles. Um, and then for any of you that want to bid on the Northern, um, February 6th is the date on that. And that's through online hunting auctions google or or search wild sheep society we'll have the link on our website yeah yeah for sure so uh some great opportunities there some pretty cool raffles um coming up uh one campfire what's going on absolutely yeah we uh we we rolled out a video uh in our i hunt series that uh, we've been wanting to work towards for the last year it's it uh features uh a young woman named tana and she hunts and she she breaks that mold of what uh what a hunter should look like got a great story that uh she she tells in a couple of minutes and uh we'd love if you could go and and share it it's it's meant to drive uh to 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 show the the connection a non-hunter has to to a hunter we've got so much more in common than people think and 
we don't all drive the big pickup trucks and wear cowboy hats and spit tobacco the way the media and the aunties like to say, say we do. So Tana tells a great story and we got more in the I hunt series coming soon. Some amazing videos have been put together and yeah, check out onecampfire.com. You'll find our videos there. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and let's, let's share these video videos out because every single time you hit that like button, that share button, it drives us into an organic market that we can't even pay for. Uh, thousands and thousands of, of views can happen organically. And all it does is further our message of uh, we're not as different as you may think. So we know that uh, hunting demographic is very, very small, not just in British Columbia, but uh, throughout North America. And we do stand to lose a lot more than we can gain if we don't all come together and uh, not so much educate, but enlighten and bring bring everybody together to, to talk about just the sustainability and the connection to the land we all share. So yeah, like I said, uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, website, and share. Yeah, it's a great, uh, great video. I'm actually, I love it. Um, and uh, I think you guys from the One Campfire Committee hit it out of the park. I, I, you know, that's my favorite one. Um, right now it's just fantastic the way it's uh the messaging in there and uh great job to the committee on that and uh the, the messaging is spot on in my opinion so love it all right man so we're on episode 18 uh this is a pretty cool one aaron parada is our guest uh, aaron is a guide in british columbia he's a, a diehard do-it-yourself backcountry uh hunter uh he's he's a life member of the wild sheep society bc like I said uh on you know, you heard on the show i've known aaron since uh 2013 i met him in cologne at our first sheep show that i was at his first as well and just a great guy um i, I don't know too many guys that work as hard as aaron um but uh great listen uh great episode it's going to be really good for kind of the new hunter uh planning your hunt this one's kind of around the concept of how do you plan your hunts where do you go what lakes do you go to? Where did you hike in off the highway? Are you doing jet boats? Um, how do you find a hunting partner? All that sort of stuff. I so, hit him with a gear question as I like to do with all these experienced, uh, these experienced sheep hunters can never learn too much from them. So I'm really good time. Yeah, absolutely. So off to episode 18 with Aaron Parada. Enjoy. Across Canada and throughout the world. If you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Hey Aaron, how's things with you these days? Oh, good, good. Just hanging in there, getting out on lots of hikes now. It's the new year, all those resolutions, trying to try to make them happen. <laughs> <laughs> right on. You're on the island, obviously, eh? Yes. Yeah. Uh, right on. Um, yeah. So, great. Um, you're a life member of the Wild Sheep Society of BC and, uh, and been really involved. And actually, um, my experience with you comes back to Kelowna. Uh, I think it was 2013. It was Sheep Show up there. Um, I drove up there for my first show, didn't know anybody and, uh, you know, just kind of trying to faff my way around and figure it out and didn't, didn't know a soul. I knew a few guys from the internet. Um, and I remember it was the Friday night gear night and Bob was up there from Barney's giving us a talk 
And you came up to me and said, hey, are you uh, Kyle, blah, 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 from, I think it was from Hunting BC, right? So, um, and that yeah. was our first introduction, I think, wasn't it? I think it was, yeah. I think you lived in Ladysmith at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so um, I did the drive up there and ran into you and uh, and that was kind of, you know, hit things off. You know, you uh, we had a great, such a great conversation, tons of talk about sheep and, uh, you know, that's kind of that wild sheep family, right? We all get in the room and... We see people, meet new people, but we have a constant or an instant bond, right? So it was, uh, it was a pretty cool opportunity and pretty neat to to kick it off that way. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you, you don't feel like you're strangers for too long once you go there. No, and you know, I was nervous as hell for my first show. I didn't know anybody, and um, you know, I, I I think I I knew Trevor Carruthers was the one guy I kind of knew from the internet. That that was my my big uh, connection to, to the event. And then I got up there and instantly we had just this big circle of friends and, you know, you and I have kind of kept in touch over the years. You know, we see each other every year at the show, obviously, but lots of times we're corresponding offline too and stuff. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty neat experience the show and stuff. And, you know, obviously 21's a bit jacked with uh, COVID, but uh, you know, that's going to go back to normal at some point, hopefully for 22, or maybe we can even do something late this uh this summer or something like that, where we can get an in-person event together and, you know, keep those bonds going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping to be honest. I think that was uh, the Kelowna show was the first show I'd ever gone to too as well. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I would have sworn that you'd, you know, that's the thing with these shows you go there and you think, Oh, you know, I'm brand new and I don't know anybody. Uh, but not, I thought you were just, you know, one of the guys that have been to every single show. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hilarious that uh, that was your first one, too. Yeah, no, I wish I had because I had a blast there and met <laughs> so many good people. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so cool. You know, the, on this show, I wanted to jump in a little bit about, you know, you, you do a ton of work in the uh, outfitting industry. You're a guide. Um, you've, you know, a very, very accomplished hunter on, on so many different species as well. You killed a kick-ass mule deer in alberta was that last year or two years ago you wrote in alberta on that hunt uh this year i got one and then four years ago was another right. one cool so. and then uh seems every year you're putting a, a big ram on the ground and uh and the cool thing i like about you too aaron is that you're always spreading the word and you're taking you know your buddies out and getting guys involved in in hunting and the conservation element too so you know it's such a cool tie-in with all that and um you know it's it's you know, what you do for for wild sheep and and the conservation and then the hunting aspect of it too is, is fantastic so yeah it's just nice you know i have a few sheep on the wall now but it's nice to bring people who don't and just uh, the smile on their face just makes it all worth it and you know it's uh just just so we're so lucky where we live that there is so many open zones and even the lehs you know jump in with somebody if they get it if you need something to do because you're always educating yourself learning the areas for when you get drawn or you know like i say the camaraderie and just being out there seeing that beautiful scenic country is unbelievable absolutely man for sure and you know i kind of live vicariously through you you're such a diehard hardcore hunter and you know you're always contributing with your stories too to the society so you know every year i look forward to there's at least one uh, article a year in the magazine about your hunts and uh, there was one in particular a couple of years ago. It was with you and your son. Um, do you want to talk a little, I think you took your son on maybe his first sheep hunt, or certainly he harvested his first sheep on that hunt. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that one? Yeah, it was his first, uh, it was his second sheep hunt. So he got to see the pain of uh, working hard and, and uh, not getting success. But uh, we, always, we always had such a great time that it's a success no matter what. 
But uh, yeah, we uh, did a hike in off the highway um, with a buddy of mine, and um, we just we just blew blew past, just went further, and just uh, put in our time. And he got a fabulous ram that blows all mine away. But it was my boy, so that's fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> that that's pretty cool. And I think on that hunt, like if I remember, you did an article for our magazine. Um, there was a um, a Don Stevenson knife involved in there somehow too. There's some connection with that. Tell us that story too. Yeah, I got ahead of time just knowing um, I got uh, Don to make me up a couple sheep horn knives, caping knives, uh, matching one for my son and I in the hopes that he would get a ram so I could present it when he got it um, just as a token of appreciation for coming with me and all his hard work and all that. And he was a trooper and it was well-deserved and Beautiful knives that Don makes. Don Stevenson's knives are incredible. So it's uh, something that he'll have for the rest of his life, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. I can certainly attest to Don's work and, and the support for the society as well. And um, that and those two knives, he didn't have a clue about it. Eh? You just you know, He killed his ram and then you handed him the knife, or is there a story there too? Yeah, no, killed his ram and then uh, handed him his knife to show him how to cape and stuff. Plus, I didn't want to have to pack the knife out as well. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so not that it was heavy, but uh, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. no, that was great. Uh, that's a memory that'll etch in me for forever, that one. Yeah, fantastic. So that hunt itself, so you guys hiked in off the highway. Was it a multi-day? Like, did you guys, uh, did you kill them on the first day or how did that all come about, the hunt itself? Uh, no, we hiked in, I think. I just can't remember if it was before, I think it was before opener. So we killed it, I think on August 2nd. So we had a few days of just scouting and all that. And I think opening day, we'd seen that ram, but I did a big mistake and I didn't look, uh, actually me and my buddy, we didn't look close. We were looking far. And my son's like, how about those rams down there? And we all looked and like, oh, and right away, there's just a no brainer. I'm like, we got to get that ram. Right when I said that, they went up and went up and over the mountain. So the whole, so we just, we watched them for the day, go up and over. And the next day we just got up bright and early and just kept picking apart every little drainage that we could find. And it was actually the last drainage we came to where he was bedded on a little pinnacle. And uh, my son made a great 200 yard shot. And uh, yeah, and memories were made. Very cool, man. What a cool story. So yeah, there's lots of stuff we can dive into and you know, that's a great one is spotting, right? You're, you're looking, you know, hundred or, you know, thousand yards or the next drainage over glassing and, and uh, yeah, you know, that happens time and time again, where you end up glassing over stuff that's right in front of you. Right. And, you know, that goes back to that age old story of picking, picking it apart. So, um, you know, on this show, I was hoping to jump into sort of the planning stages. It's kind of that time of year. It's January guys and girls are booking flights and jet boats or um, lining things up with their partners about where they're going to hunt. So, you know, um, you do a ton of hunting in BC here. Can you kind of talk about your planning process? Like, um, you know, what does it look like for LEH? What do you do for LEH? How do, how do you manage that, um, that sort of stuff? Maybe let's just jump into that early planning stage. Um, and let's go back to say last year. So last year you finished your hunt up and now you're done the year. At what point do you start thinking about the following year how does your brain work with regards to planning that well unfortunately for my wife my brain works that uh as i'm hunting i'm already thinking of the following year 
<laughs> no matter what I have. But uh, it always starts off with that early sheep draw to see if I can get the tat or, you know, just that early one. So I usually don't make any plans until I put in for that and then that's out. And then once I got that, I, um, like, I always know I'm going to be going sheep hunting because I guide September or October, know it, like sporadically through there. So um, August is always my time where I'll take off for the whole month and get one or two sheep hunts in there, guaranteed, no, no matter what, just because I, I love the stone sheep hunting and I love the country. But um, so then I'll put in my draws for, for all the other sheep. Just in case, like I know they are further on, like the elk will be October, September, whatever, and all that. But just in case you don't have the money to go, you want to, I really like, if I put in for the draws, I want to give it my 100% to get the animal that I put in for. And, and So with that, are you always, is it dull every year? Or do you ever put in for some of the other areas? Like, um, you know, maybe the Spitzeezy or, or, you know, some of these other areas that require an LEH, or is it always a dull draw for you? Well, in the start, when I was first starting, uh, a buddy of mine, we put in for um, the Atlan draw. Okay. Which was good, and that's where I got my fan in, was out there. But because I'm trying to look for the slam, a doll is what I need really bad. So I just keep crossing my fingers and putting in for the tat now. And right. I probably will until I get it. And even if I go somewhere else for a doll, I'll still put in to try to get a, a doll from BC. But um, I, I'm always at a catch-22 because if I get a stone, I do want to go for big horns. But my problem is I'm usually guiding in the time when it's big horn hunting. Right. Right. Uh, so you've, you've already killed your desert. We obviously know you've got your stone, not a doll yet. Have you killed a big horn in BC or? Um, yeah, I got drawn, uh, for a Cali draw. Okay. Oh, by Clinton. Yeah. So, so I killed the, that big horn. Okay. So, so you're just waiting, you got your doll to fill and and then you. you yeah, I got my doll. And once I got my doll, I will put in, I'll start putting in more time for, to try to get a Rocky. Rocky okay. seem to be, besides getting drawn for doll, some of the, one of the hardest ones to get is a Rocky or a Cali. Right. So yeah. unless you get unless you get drawn, but uh, for a for a legal Rocky or Cali, it seems to be a real tough one. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Get. Yeah, I, you know, you kind of the the Kootenai boys, they kind of got that all dialed over there. They're uh, they, they know where those sheep are, and they uh, they got a pretty close eye on things. So I think unless you kind of have an in somewhere, it's pretty tough to, to get a general open season, uh, bighorn in BC, right? That's so. right. Yeah. They live right there. They know their backyard. Yeah. So, yeah, and sure. they're all great hunters too. Those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So. For sure. <laughs> yeah. And there's some great Rams over there obviously as well. So, um, yeah. So, so six, uh, six twenty eight, six twenty nine for the dolls. That's the focus. Do you do you put in by yourself? Do you ever put in for in a group draw, or is it always on your own that you're putting in? For? Uh, usually, I put in as a group uh, just to share it and have somebody else there. So I, I usually okay. pick one other guy. And this year, I picked my buddy just because he could commit to. We'll do thirty days until either one of us or both of us get one. So preferably right. both of us. So we'll just keep doing back to back and salt our capes and all that and. If we have to take, you know, a few days off in between, but I just want to commit that if I do get it, I will spend 30 days up there. Right. To try to get it. So, okay. So for our listeners, they're trying to go on there, maybe their first sheep hunt, right? So you've talked about um, your doll sheep in 28 or 29, but in region six, but um, how do you, 
you talked about you picked your one buddy to put in for doll because he's got the time. How do you do that? How do you find a hunting partner for sheep? And and what for our listeners, what recommendations can you make to them? Um, my biggest recommendation is go with somebody at your level so they're not letting you down, like for training purposes and stuff. You know, you want to go with that so it, so it's fun for both of you. You know, so so one's not a burden to the other, but. As a trainer, I try to keep training like all year, like we're always hiking or, you know, mountain bike and stuff like that. I try to keep pretty fit. And then I just step it up a notch when it comes to, to sheep training with the pack. Um, picking partners, I've, I've been fortunate that I've got a lot of close buddies that I've had for years that uh, I've introduced, some I've introduced to it that have just just flourished and just love the training and, and all that. But uh, usually that, and I just, look for the positive people that aren't down. They, you know, it doesn't matter if you get something you're there for the beauty of, if you get something, it's a bonus, you know, you're just spending time with your friends and it's just pretty much like a vacation. Right. Yeah. Well, it definitely is for us, although it's a bit of a working vacation, right? Yeah. Yeah. You work harder than any vacation (laughs) I've been on, but, uh, but uh, it's so rewarding. I think working hard is what is what, uh, what makes it so memorable. Right. So now with your, the guys that you've taken with you on your sheep hunts and your partners, um, a lot of them have been, it's been their first time too, right? Or are they, you know, has it always been somebody that's always been on a previous sheep hunt? I know your son, obviously he, his first hunt was with you, but um, how does that work? Yeah. Um, two or three have been their their first times. And then you see, well, it's kind of like Jack O'Connor says, you either love it or you're, you're going to really hate it. But, um, yeah, and, and not everybody I've gone with, I keep hunting with either. There's some guys I've clashed with, or we have just, just different mind frames, which doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they want to hunt a different way than I want to hunt. But, um, sheep hunting partners, when it comes to pushing it to the next level, like spending the night on the mountain, they are few and far between. And I've been lucky that I got two or three great guys. And my son, of course, which has taken to it really well, which is fantastic for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So will he, he hunt with you this year? Obviously, if you get that dull draw, you're going to be in the, the tat for that. But aside from that, if, will you take him on a hunt as well um, in addition to, to that? Yeah, this year I'll, I'll hopefully take him on a jet boat um, up the Moskwa this year. Just he hasn't experienced the jet boat ride, so I want to show him how fun that is. You know, he's done the horrible hiking and the long hikes. So, so this will just be another added thing that I'd like to do with my son. So I'll definitely take him on that. If not, it'll be a, a goat hunt where probably there's sheep in the area as well. Right on. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. So you mentioned the jet boat. So obviously for, for guys on their first hunt or even guys that have been on hunts, there's the hiking off the highway stuff, the hardcore, like throw your pack on, hike for two days before you get hunting. Uh, there's the jet boat up the the Musqua or, or a variety of other big rivers in BC. Uh, fly-in trip. Um, we've got um, horseback. Uh, obviously, there's a, a local BCer. Um, if you've got the dough, um, hire a guide outfitter. That's, uh, that's a very, very successful way, but it's going to cost you some cash, right? So... Um, kind of from your perspective, um, you've seen some of these. What, what approach do you – are you always a hiking off the highway guy? Are you Have you done a horseback trip at all? How does that work for you, Aaron? Um, I haven't done horseback in B.C., just in the Yukon. Um, they're not my favorite horses. And uh, 
Uh, yeah, I just haven't had the experience with them coming from the island. You know, not many people are to the horses like like the Kootenays or Williams Lake country, all that that cowboy country. Uh, so I've just usually just because I started off adventure racing and then into mountain climbing, um, the hiking off the highway was just kind of a fun, a fun thing to do. I knew I could put the kilometers in and go past some horse guys and just take it a little bit further to try to increase your success level and get away from other residents and outfitters. Yeah, for sure. And how about flying? Have you done any flying trips at all, Aaron? Or? Yeah, the flying I, I really like. And, and we have so many lakes. Like, you can look at uh, Earth's at Muncho's list of lakes and just pretty much do some research on any one, which I recommend, and just go there. And, like, it's such beautiful country. And pick one and do the research. I like the lakes because everything's a surprise and learn in new areas and stuff like that. And, you, you know, you might not know where the horse trails are and stuff like that. Not that you need them, but you go in there, you do your research. And if it looks good, you go the next year and now you're just that much further ahead, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we hear that often where guys are like, well, how do you know where to go? And can you put an X on the map for me? Or can you give me, and then, and truth be told, uh, sheep hunters don't really put X's on the maps for other people, you know, it, you know, and that's part of the, the joy of it is, is, um, you know, accomplishing it for yourself. Right. So, uh, but where do you go? What lakes do you fly into? Well, you know, a quick Google search and you're going to find some sheep hunting lakes for sure. Guaranteed. You'll see a place to fly in, but then call an outfitter and get, or sorry, call a, a fly-in operator like Earth or uh, some of the other operators across the province and get their flying list and uh and then ask them which one of these are sheep lakes and uh, they're going to tell you they're happy to take you to them and uh you know the good operators generally they don't take 20 people to one lake they'll kind of say hey we've got a couple couple lakes here that are, don't have a lot of people in which is probably where you want to go when you're sheep hunting right so uh, i think that's great advice that you suggested there is get that list and find out where to go and then just talk start talking to guys and say hey you know any any good lakes that you you've been into or any areas you've been into and um, that's what I found with the, the society is these shows are great for talking to guys, right? You know, you're just BSing and, you know, as a general rule, people aren't marking X's on the map for you, but they're talking about great areas they've been into or where they killed the ram. And, you know, if there's been rams killed there, you know, they're sheep. So it's probably a good area to get into for sure. So, yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. 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 And with all the maps on Google earth and, you know, and the internet, you can pretty much tell which ones will be just strictly moose. And which ones have got some good mountains close by that you just got to put in your put in the work to uh, to get to where the sheep spots are. But you never know. That's how you can find that diamond in the rough too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. no, that's for sure. Yeah, the big the big ram that you're you're everyone's yeah. after. Yeah, that's hidden sure. in that little bowl. You might just stumble across it. You yeah. know, there's a lot of guys out there, but let's be honest, that's big country. We yeah. we, we all we all know that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So now uh, for guys looking region six, region seven, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you hunted both, uh, both regions or what does that look like for you, Aaron? Yeah, I've hunted both regions. Um, region six was more in September. Um, the feather, uh, the weather is uh, more unfavorable. I find in region six being closer to the coast, get a lot more fog, a lot more rainier days, especially in September. Yeah. You know, a 10-day hunt, you might lose three, four days to weather where there's just no point even leaving the tent because it's so fogged in or the weather's so miserable. Uh, region 7 is always nice because the population's for sheep. 
it seems to be a little bit higher. But um, I will go to both. If I was to lean to one, it would be Region 7. I would lean to. Just I, I like uh, the mountains seem a little more rolling too. And it, as I get older, I seem to uh, lean towards that. <laughs> Yeah, not quite as spiky, eh? No. Yeah, that that weather factor is a good point too, right? Like, you know, kind of region six dies off. You know, if you're hunting in October in region six, um, you know, you're definitely going to have weather issues. And a lot of guys are, you know, I remember we did a fly in there and we were the last guys to come out. And I think it was October 15th. And, you know, he wouldn't fly anyone out of there after that. That was kind of the cutoff just because the weather issue, it just gets too intense to be with that coastal weather, right? So um, region seven gives you a bit more time to, to hunt later in the season as well for sure so yeah um okay so on that note do you are you an early season guy or are you like i, I know you just talked about the conflict there but do you want to be there for the opener or are you will you know how does that how do you plan around that i know there's guys that exclusively do the opener guys are always late season because they don't want the pressure what do you what's your thoughts on that process well the main thing i like the early i like the i like the weather earlier um because of my guiding for September, it keeps me away from going late. I do. I like the late, like like the capes on the late season. But um, uh, just what when I'd lean for it. If I wasn't guiding, I, sometimes I like I like around the tenth of August. It seems like the rush has gone in, and the sheep are calming down a bit more, and they'll start coming out of where they were hiding from the first bunch of guys. That's probably my favorite time to go is around that mid-August, mid-August time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, Steve, you're looking at this and, um, you know, you're planning your first sheep hunt this year. Um, you know, in terms of your planning, what's on your mind? And uh, do you have any any questions for Aaron with regards to that? <laughs> How long do you got? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, so, I've been I've, – I've been, uh, moose and bear for 15 20 years so lowland type crap uh got the bug from kyle of course and been busting my ass training so since what may june kyle i started sending you pictures of me slugging my ass up the university hill here i've dropped 50 some odd pounds uh got the right boots hearing everybody say get a properly fitting pack uh got a good stove got good poles so I'll ask you, I've asked lots of other people, what do you say the most important piece of gear you can get to go up a mountain would be? Uh, definitely your boots. Okay. If you ruin your feet, you've ruined your hunt. Makes sense. I, I've hunted with some guys that I don't know how they keep going with the blisters they have on their feet, yeah. but uh, the, they're tough and they can, I, I just, if, if I start getting too bad of blisters, I don't know. That's all I can think about. It just drives me crazy. Makes so sense. I use Loa Tibet, uh, yeah. Gore-Tex and I've on my third pair and I, I don't waver away because I can take them out of the box and I won't get blisters. You know what you got. That's exactly what I've got too. That's what a couple people recommended. And I, I tried a couple sets on, I, I found Scarpa didn't feel good immediately Kenetrex were a little pinchy, just running around the store, and I, I got the the Tibets, and it was it was like you you knew right that it was just okay. This is the one, so that's what I've been going with. So that's awesome. Uh, what are your thoughts on packs? What would you? I, I hear uh, I, I'm right now. I'm torn between the Barney's Freighter 
and uh, the 6900 Stone Glacier. Yeah, um, to be honest, I've just stuck with Kuyu packs the whole time. I haven't okay. tried many. I tried Edelstock, but uh, it was it was just so heavy back. That was in, when I first started the sheep hunt. Right. And then I've just had pretty much Kuyu packs the whole time. Okay. But so I, you... if it if it fits you good, I like I've got buddies with Stone Glacier packs and Mystery Ranch, and they love them. And I don't knock them because if if they can do it and it fits them good, and they don't have fatigue on their shoulders or their hips, yeah. then, then then go with that. And that's exactly what I keep coming back to is that fit thing. So that's that's good, awesome. Yeah, and it's just one day if you're training. Like sometimes I'll pack water up and dump it at the top. Don't blow your knees out continually right. going downhill with yes. weight. Makes sense. Like you know, gravity's gonna take over when, when, it, when <laughs> yeah, it comes up. But if you got poles, poles are probably probably one of the key factors I, I find that help me with a heavy pack. Awesome. So and I use them for training. Turn a turn a two wheel drive into a four wheel yeah, drive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why <laughs> not? Take some weight <laughs> off your legs and put it to your upper body. It just it only makes sense. Awesome. Yeah. I use them for training too. One of our, our life members, I was hiking here in Victoria at my poles, and he's like, you idiot, you don't hike with your poles when you're training. You, you do that uh, on the sheep hunt, so you, you need to get in shape without them. But uh, I do a kind of a mixture, right? I train with them, I train without them type thing. But if you never use poles and you use them on your first hunt, you're probably going to end up with blisters, right? Certainly if you're not wearing gloves, right? So you know, it, it certainly isn't a bad idea to train with them as well. And I, I like to do it, but uh, yeah, different strokes. For different yeah, strokes. I do it too, because sometimes, you know, you got them on rocks and some guys are they're tripping over them because they're not used to where yeah. to place them, right? They're placing them in front of their feet sometimes and then they're tripping. And so like you say, you train with all the gear that you're going to be sheep hunting with. Right? Just get used to it, get used to where it is on you, where it is in your pack. It's that's the best thing is, you know, I, it's just kind of like a military standpoint is the more you know your gear and how you are, the better you're going to uh, react to every situation. Yeah, and you, you're better off finding out the weaknesses of your gear before you get on the mountain. And you buy a cheap set of poles, which may work, they may not. But if, they, if they're going to blow out and, you know, you want them to blow out while you're training, not when you're on that technical sheep hunt where you're trying to, you know, that's where you're going to put them through the most intense pressure because it's going to be multiple days with heavy weights, probably certainly if you kill something. Uh, but you definitely want to try that stuff out ahead of time. I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, different, like Steve mentioned that moose hunt and that sort of stuff and bears. So we talked, let's talk a little bit about the combo hunt. You talked about a goat hunt and, and stuff. So obviously if you go in the opener, the issue there is you're just going to be hunting sheep because there's nothing open. Uh, I don't think in BC before um, August 1st or uh, right at August 1st, it's basically sheep or nothing, right? Um, so if you're going to do a little bit of a later season hunt, you can do the combo hunt. Do you plan combo hunts or do you, when you're on a hunt, do you typically just take the one tag with you? How do you approach that doing a combo um, hunt? I think in region six, I think sheep and goats are open in some zones at the same time. So okay. that's, that's always a good combo hunt. Usually, you know, I, as I start, like I want to get a caribou and stuff like that, I, I, I find myself torn between putting in where there is caribou just in case I do see sheep that I can still go for sheep. And it's just your love for sheep. It's like, okay, well, I got to go where at least there's an opportunity. But um, I don't really plan too many combo hunts. I just find I do better if I can just focus on the one 
you know, you're packing for the one animal. That's your goal. You and your buddy know that maybe once you've got it and you have a base camp, then focus on another thing, have a tag in hand, which we've done for some hikings off the high, like caribou and stuff like that. Like we have a tag just in case. And, uh, and we also have a amount of kilometers that it is away rule. <laughs> <laughs> you, what's, what's your rule on that do for, uh, for <laughs> Gee, I don't think I'd want to pack a caribou over, over 10 kilometers away from the highway. That's for sure. So <laughs> it'd have to be a pretty big. Yes. Guy. Yes. It would have to be something worth it and not have, it's and if you were two guys, not have two down either. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah. The, the, the distance packing I think is directly proportional to the size of the animal. That's right. right. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I know guys, uh, that carry a moose tag, but unless it's at the lake, they're not pulling. Yeah. The trigger. Yeah. There's no way that they're going to, or well, not near the highway maybe or whatever. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, so I know with, uh, my hunting partner, he's, that's one of the things I always like to carry extra tags and, um, but he's like, no, we're just planning one hunt around one species and sure, if you want to carry an extra tag, but there's nothing worse than one guy, you're on a sheep hunt and then one guy takes off and chasing the goat or a caribou or a moose or an elk or whatever like that. That's one of the challenges. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You always have your side. If it, if it does look big. You know, if you're a good hunting buddy, you're going to say, yeah, yeah, we can't pass on that goat or something like that. But right. at least you've got your mind frame on the one animal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely a focus. Um, have you ever done it? Uh, I think you mentioned you've done a few trips with more than two guys. Like you've had three guys. How how challenging is that dynamic? And if a guy's planning a trip, does he want to just plan exclusively with one person? Or you want to look at going with a group of guys? How do you kind of approach that aspect? Of um, I will... If you got to, like, I've gone with four guys, I've gone with three guys. Um, if you can group up in two, you can really, I, I like four guys where you got two guys that are comfortable with each other. And then you have one base camp or a spike tent that you come back to and then tell all your intel of what you've seen for the day. And then if you see something good, you can all go and, uh, and assess, um, just assess the situation and what you've seen, right? It's, it's just a smart way to cover more country. I do like those hunts. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And the key there is just making sure everyone's on the same page, I guess, right? Whereas, uh, you know, I, I've had hunts where I've gone with three or four guys and it's been okay. And then there's been other times where, you know, two of the guys have different idea or maybe, like you said, not being in maybe the, the same shape as you. Um, and then, you, you know, there's this bit of a disconnect. Um, I've, I've had that before too, where, you know, same thing. We you know, the, the guy didn't come back the following year. That was his last hunt with us. And I think it was the Jack O'Connor saying thing you mentioned earlier. It's either your sheep hunter, you're not. And he clearly wasn't, that was the end of it. He, you know, he did have a successful hunt. He, he got himself a mountain goat, but uh, he's never seen the mountains since. So, yeah. Yeah. It is, it is tough. It's, it's nice to get four guys that you can swap up and like, you know, and just rotate. Okay. I'm going to go with this guy today and then break it up. So, you know, so you got a little more conversation and, and all that. But it's hard. You want it if a situation happens. Do they know how to cape? Do they know what they're doing? You know, how's their wilderness survival education? Stuff like that, right? So, so I try to. I've been good. Like when I've had the four groups, all the guys get along great. And I've actually had guys that just met each other and they're hanging out and going off in their own separate way while I go off with somebody else, and it's turned out really good. But. 
Uh, that's pretty cool because, you know, quite a lot of the time you hear these stories where guys find a hunting partner and they're, you know, you know the guy, but you have never been in the mountains with them, right? So um, that's pretty cool. That goes to show you that, you know, if you're with good guys, you make it work, right? It, you don't need to be with a long-term buddy or um, it's not not that important. You can make it work if you're all on the same page. Yeah, in a two-person tent, you'll know the guy by the end of the by the end of the trip for sure. <laughs> Whether you didn't at the start or not, you're going to know everything about him. Okay, so for a guy that's hunting with you, who gets to pull the trigger? How does that work? How do you figure that out? Um, you know, you're out there. You, you decide ahead of time. Do you uh, do you have a rule? What what rules do you play by there? Uh, usually, we have a rule. Just whoever sees whoever sees the ram, if it's legal, they're the, they get to t- choose whether they want it or not. Um, I've been with enough guys now that they've got bigger rams than me, so I think I'm going to trump them if I see. Uh, something this year but i know they're all good guys and they're all they're all for that as well but usually yeah usually we'll rotate but i mean you know how many do you need on the wall uh i love just being there i love seeing first timers get theirs uh i'm also looking for bigger older sheep now too which which is nice and most of the guys i sheep with or hunt sheep with have got rams so now we're just looking for phenomenal rams or something that's just really unique that that they want which is going to bring it to another new level for me this year, which is just nice. Like the pressure's off. They've all, they all got one and now it's just enjoy it. And let's see what we can pick, pick out. Nice. Um, so do you have a rule of thumb for you? Like, um, and probably it changes every year, but do you have a, do you have a Ram that, you know, a certain size, certain, like, do you shoot on age? Do you shoot on uh, maturity? Do you shoot on size? How do you, do you have a, a rule of thumb there on what you're going to shoot? Um, preferably, I like to shoot on both age and and horns. Um, but for me, myself, I'm looking for age. But unless you come across, you know, some of those eight-year-old rounds just got so much mass. Um, I think it'd be hard turning down one of those that just kind of has it all, but he's only eight. But I, I don't really want to, I don't want a six-year-old ram or a seven-year-old ram, you know. You know, like Clay Lancaster says, you know, take one for your first, but then up your game for every other one. Like, do better and yeah. better and better, which which is great advice. Yeah, no, absolutely, for sure. Um, so you talked earlier about um, doing a jet boat in this year, potentially. Um, is that something where you'll... So there's services available, right? Um, there's, I think, River Jet Adventures out of... Uh, uh, Dawson Creek, they offer a service where you you hire them and they'll actually take you into a spot and they'll take you into a sheep area. They'll drop you off, that sort of stuff. Or do you have you have buddies with a boat? How do you plan that sort of trip for yourself? What's What approach do you have? Uh, I myself have uh, a good friend and I'm fortunate that he's a great operator and uh, knows the rivers like the back of his hand. So I go up with a buddy on his boat. Um, but Jason Tolfi from Riverjet, he he does awesome. He'll bring it into some great sheep country. So without putting an X on the map, but you might have to do some work, but, uh, but he knows, he knows his stuff. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good option for new guys, right? Like if you're, if you don't really have a, an area that you're confident about, like you said, you can do your own research, get the maps out, you know, do your, and it's pretty easy on the internet these days, right? There's a lot of options and you can just look it up and look at different lakes that guys talk about where there's sheep. But if you don't know where to go, um, it's pretty affordable, these these trips where you go, you know, a fly-in is going to be a bit more pricey. Um, but with someone like Riverjet, they're affordable. 
and they're going to drop you off an area where there's sheep. You still got to kill them. You still got to find them, but you're going to have the best chance and it's pretty affordable. So I think that's a pretty cool opportunity for maybe somebody that's never been on a sheep hunt if they don't, just don't know where to go yet. Yeah. And, and it's good too, because uh, Jason will always pick up, like if you get one ram down, he'll pick it up and take care of it and bring it to a cooler and all that stuff too, which is always a great option that you don't have, you know, flying in and stuff gets a little more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, so you, you said you got a buddy that's got a jet boat and you guys are planning a possible trip this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. He, I've been with him a few times and, uh, he's just a great guy, great op, great operator. And, uh, yeah, he's my new best friend. <laughs> yeah. funny how a $80,000 jet boat will do that yeah to a relationship exactly there. yeah yeah no no yeah. we get along great he's just a young guy but he's got it together and he's his passion is uh like mine or even greater for hunting it's, it's incredible right. yeah well that's the cool thing about a jet boat too is you can get out there and do that sort of stuff too right um i know guys that have you know I, i'm a pilot by trade as you know and guys are like oh i buy my own airplane and i'll go fly in and i'm like yeah, but you're on your own, buddy. I'm like, you know, you look at these guys in the mountains. I've done a few flying trips. I haven't done a ton. But the guys that are in there, they know the valleys. Um, there's times where it's fogged in and you know the valley you're going and you can't get up. And they make a phone call and they talk to somebody and they go, oh, yeah, it's it's clear down south. We can get around there. So I think, you know, by having a skilled bush pilot, you're going to certainly increase your chances. And your, your chances of dying are a lot less, too, I think, that somebody that doesn't know what they're doing in the mountains, you don't really want them messing around on these mountain mountain passes and these lakes and stuff like that. Right? No, you definitely want new pilots to do lots of flying on their own before uh, I get in the plane with them. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you look at these guys that I've flown with and, you know, when I get in and I see the gray hair and they've been doing it for 20 years, uh, you know, Bruce was a great one. Uh, uh, out of these, these lake there, you know, you never, you know, he was an interesting character and, and he always told you what he thought, but you never had to worry about how he's going to fly the airplane. You always were felt really safe and he'd done it so long. He was, he was good at it. And yeah, so there's a lot of great operators out there that do a good job and they know the area and they're going to get you in and out as safely as they can. Yeah, guys. definitely a different breed of guys for every plane <laughs> operator I've met. It's just their humor and it's just, uh, it's pretty like Chris Moser out of Atlin. Uh, just fantastic, fantastic guys. Yeah. And uh, I guess for some of the guys that haven't been on a sheep hunt that are listening, if you've done a fly-in, if anyone knows where the sheep are, it's these bush pilots, right? So they're your friend, treat them well and ask them questions. And they, cause those guys know where the sheep come on. They fly the people in and out every day and they're taking rams out of places and they know where the big ones come from. Um, but again, just knowing the lake doesn't give you the answers. You still got to do all that research and figure out where to go from the lake and how to get to the rams and that sort of stuff too. Yeah. So on that note, Aaron, um, do you spend much time on Google Earth and looking at maps and topos and that sort of stuff before hunt or uh, is that something you don't really worry too much about? Yeah, I, I do. It's, it's not my main thing, but um, when I've done, like when I go into a new place and you're doing the research, I've done lots of Google Earth and I especially go back out and do it again to see. Because I find Google Earth has has fooled me a few times where I'm like, okay, I can go up through this pass. I can do this. But then you get there and you're just like, oh, there's no way I'm getting down that other side. You know, it's just too dangerous and stuff like that. So sometimes you just got to go and do the research, see it with your own eyes, you know, and, and some of the maps, I download maps that come with me 
you know, that uh, like Canada maps and stuff. You can download the section you're going to so you can get a topography of it. And I do that lots and I just have it with me and look. And then with your inReach, it pulls up the map too. It gives you, you know, a, a kind of a more of a vaguer description. But, but uh, yeah, I, I'm more of kind of the hands-on go there and I'll, I'll figure it out when I'm there. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So when you say you carry that map with you, do you carry an iPad with you or how do you reference it just on your, your phone or how do you look at these, these topo maps that you carry? Yeah, just you? on my iPhone. So they're just pre-downloaded on your iPhone. And then, uh, and that's yeah. how I run my, my, cause I have an inReach mini. So I run that and then I just bring one goal zero to make sure I charge it. But I don't uh, use my inReach besides pretty much maybe every second day, a pre-recorded to the wife to say we're all right. And other than that, it's straight for maps or, or, or logging a path and that's it. Okay. So, uh, so the goal zero, you use that to charge your iPhone. Is, is that a solar charger or how do, uh, I've heard of them, but, or is it a battery? Yeah, pack? I just bring a battery pack. It'll charge my cell phone pretty, twice. twice. Okay. And then usually the guys I go with have got one that'll do a single or a double as well. So we all kind of just have one for our devices. Like my phone, I usually just use for a camera. Yeah. Right. And, and then just to log on once in a while to send an in-reach message. And, and that's about it. Okay. And do you use any mapping apps? Like there's these Onyx maps or uh, Fat Maps or all these different apps like that. Do you use any of that stuff or you just use kind of the in-reach and the topos? Is that yeah, those are my two main ones. When I'm back home, I'll go through Fat Map and, and I'll look at it. It's got okay. some good detail. But uh, right. yeah, usually it's just the uh, the in reach and just Google Earth is right. is all I use. Yeah, that the whole mapping thing is is fascinating. There's so many opportunities out there. My hunting partner Mike that I go with, he he knows the, the stuff inside out. Like he uh, he's a Google Earth guy. He likes to sit on his computer and go through all that stuff. And I I can't do that. It's just not my thing. Um, I'd rather just get out there and figure it out. So I kind of have the luxury going with him. He kind of knows the map stuff and it's fascinating like if you're if you're kind of good at that stuff you know there's i think uh jason harrison had had a, a hunt he was on and he there were some pictures of it and he was able to figure out the top well he he talked about the area he was in and then he got on google earth and you know there was some distinctive peaks and he figured out the exact location and he sent me google map shots of you know he goes look at this and look at the picture and it was exactly the spot where he killed his ram right so you know, it's pretty amazing what you can do with it if you're good at it. I'm not. I don't understand that. But uh, it's pretty amazing what you can do with it. And I think some of these new programs like Onyx and stuff, I, I've, you know, I just hear about it on Media or whatever. I've never used it. I don't know. But apparently they're amazing. So. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm just uh, – some guys are just like total geeks on it, and they just can figure it out. And all four of them, it's just, it's just not me. I just – I don't know. I, I kind of just want to be there. So yeah. I'm, I'm – yeah. Sure. sure probably teachers in school would tell you you just can't you can't <laughs> focus he's just got to do be out there <laughs> well and i think too you know that like you said they are a bit misleading especially google maps because you know they kind of have an idea where the the topography is where where's there's heavy brush and you know where it's clear and a lot of that's pretty misleading you're like oh we can get through this pass here we can get through this valley and you know but it may be so dense with brush or that sort of stuff it would take you literally days to get through there there's been areas where it's just so thick with vegetation right and like the satellite options give you some some possibilities but as a general rule it's there's a lot of issues there trying to look at google maps and thinking yeah you're safe and like you said you get out there and you're like oh, i can go this way and then you get there and it's a sheer cliff for which didn't really show up on google yeah maps. or it's so far away 
but on Google Maps, it looked like it was so close, but you didn't do the calculation, you know, to say, oh, that's a long yeah. ways away. But yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so somebody wants to go hunting. It's their first sheep hunt, um, never been on. Um, you know, and they're planning their, they're trying to plan their hunt. What advice would you give them? Just somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, Aaron, I want to go sheep hunting. You know, what advice do you have for me? What, what would you tell them? Uh, start training would be the first thing. Just keep training. Um, just, just the training for me, it just makes it more enjoyable. You know, the work you put in, then you get, if you do get a double header and you're fortunate, which I've been fortunate, that's when the pain really starts when you got a whole ram on your back. And, uh, and you just say, and it's no fun anymore. And, and let's be honest, a whole ram on your back is never really any fun besides getting the ram that you're smiling the whole way with the pain. But I, yeah, so my first thing would be train. The next thing would be, um, just pick a, pick a spot, a lake, whether you're going to go with river jet and just commit to it. Like find a guy who's going to go, who's on the same page and go, don't wait. Don't wait. Just get out there and do it. Yeah, I think that's great advice, right? Like a lot of guys will sit there and they go, well, I don't have a partner. I don't have this or I don't have that. And, uh, you know, you start planning these things and make it happen. And and that's what's going to make it happen, right? Um, and there's can always there's always going to be an obstacle, but either you, you make it happen or you don't. Um, I know a lot of guys are worried about funds, about money, right? But, um, you know, sheep hunting can be a rich man's game in the sense that if you're doing a guided hunt or whatever, but BC has so many opportunities, right? There's general open season and it's just a matter of getting out there and strapping a pack on and, and you don't need the latest and greatest, right? You don't, you know, all that stuff. If you got good boots and good rain gear and, and good emergency equipment, um, the rest is kind of, yeah, you don't need the perfect pack. I remember I was like you, that first hunt I was on was with my Everly stock and it was, uh, you know, that right away it was like, okay, I need a better pack. That was a, you know, and not that the Everly stock isn't a good pack, but it wasn't good for what the use I was, I had it for. Right. So finding, you know, you can, and you can upgrade that stuff down the road. So yeah, it's just a matter of strapping up the boots and pack on and getting out in the field and, and getting after That's it. right. And, and just sharing gear. It doesn't have to break the bank, but share your gear and, uh, and that'll cut down the funds. Incredible. Like you don't need all the top of the line clothes, just some necessities, some good rain gear, like you see boots, a pack and uh and your spotter and uh you can share you can share every other bit of gear so it, it, it's yeah. it's really in the scheme of things it's no different than the west coast trail or you know for this for the stuff you have it's just the same gear besides a rifle and a and a spotter yeah, so absolutely. and there's so many up you know to hiking off the highway you can look for like a lot of hikers do it in the summer like they're not hunters at all but you could even spend the summer and go and hike, hike with your wife or something, and then keep your eyes open for good sheep mountains and do that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting this fall. Uh, I had a goat draw uh, in region three and uh, that's where all my research came from was these backpack groups. Um, and guys were posting guys and girls were posting pictures of their trip and they're like, oh, here's a picture of some mountain goats. So like, oh, and they had the coordinates on there, right? So um, all my research in that zone, I talked to some guys that, you know, had been around there, maybe known about it or known people that had hunted it. But the best resource I had was these backpacking groups. Now it was down south. It was region three. Obviously, region six and region seven, you're probably going to not have that luxury. 
but it was a fantastic resource for me. Something unique because I'd never had that kind of information. But I started Googling the area with the mountains and stuff like, oh, yeah. And, you know, literally showing billies on the mountain and, and with the coordinates on it. How, how good does that get, right? So, yeah. Um, no, that, yeah, that's right. Cool. The Internet's your friend. Like, I know it's ruined a lot of stuff, too, but uh, and opened it all up. But it can, it's definitely your friend. Yeah, and, and it, I think it goes the same way for gear too. Like a lot of guys are like, oh, what does this guy use or what does that guy use? There's a lot of non-hunting brands that have equipment that you can use, right? Like, uh, you know, one of the best uh, out there, like obviously we've got a, a huge range now. We're so fortunate that we've got the Sitkas of the world. We've got the Kuyus of the world. We've got the Stone Glaciers of the world that are making hunting-centric equipment. But we didn't have that 20 years ago. And there were great manufacturers out there like Arcteryx and stuff like that that were making really good quality gear, right? So, you know, that's another thing. You don't need to have a Sitka rain jacket or you don't need to have, um, you know, some of this is hunting centric and it's great. Uh, and certainly the camo aspect is huge, but there's a lot of other great brands and different different quality of products out there that you can use it. You don't need to have hunting centric stuff. Use whatever you got at home, right? That's right. Yeah, and after you do your first trip, if you if you don't have that stuff, then you'll know. Okay, I, I gotta get the Kuyu or Sitka this gear, and then. But you know, work work your way up. You don't have to break the bank on the first time. You know, I I know Absolutely. I sure didn't. I was so heavy with <laughs> with gear I shouldn't have had, and just just backpack and stuff that wasn't suitable for sheep hunting. But uh, I'm still here, so. Yeah, we made it. Well, the funny thing is, too, is, um, you know, people are always talking about a weight thing, right? You want, oh, lightweight, lightweight. And that's not always the answer either, right? So one example is um, my buddy Mike bought this really cool titanium knife online. And, you know, it was, it was super lightweight, like ounces. And it was going to be fantastic. He got in the field and he basically threw it away. It was useless, right? It just, you know, yeah, it was the lightest thing he had. Um, it could not keep, uh, he started caping and then it was within, you know, 30 seconds, it was useless pretty much. So, you know, uh, the lightest weight thing isn't always the best thing either. Right. Um, there's some things where having extra weight is a, and, you know, maybe a pack, a heavier pack that fits you properly is a, is a good option or, you know, like a knife or, you know, your rain gear is a good one, right? Everyone looks at the rain gear and go, oh yeah, let's ultra light or whatever. And it's great. But if it rips the first second you're out there, it's useless. Right. So you know, I run sick of rain gear and I love it. It's uh, it's a bit heavier and a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you can get a lot lighter stuff. But for me, it, it's waterproof and, and bomb proof. Basically, it works for me. But, um, you know, I think that weight is, you know, it's not always the best option. Right. You got to look at the quality, too. So. No, that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen guys shred their rain gear going through that scrub brush and all that. And I'm like, well, wasn't such a great idea where their tents just <laughs> rip apart in the wind and stuff. So yeah, when when you, and th those are the items too that that your life depends on your sh your shelter and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, you definitely don't want to worry too much about ultra thin if it's not going to hold up. Yeah, there's definitely uh, definitely uh, a bit of a, and that's where just getting out and trying your gear. I, I on this sheep hunt I did this past fall, I ran into a couple of guys and it was their first sheep hunt and they got they had an MSR tent, really good quality but they hadn't used it much and they hadn't used it in the rain and we got some pretty heavy rains and it was, they just said it was just, it was almost like they were outside. It was just, they were bailing water out of it. Um, it was amazing. And like MSR is a good quality product, but for that, whatever reason, I don't know if it wasn't seam sealed or, and it was advertised 
or maybe it was just a defective product too, right? That can happen as well. Like there's these great brands, but sometimes you get a product that's defective. Anyway, it was uh, basically useless for them. So yeah, yeah, you get that, or or they haven't taken care of it. Sometimes you don't. Phones ringing. Might be mine. Sometimes you don't know. You know, you gotta you gotta keep on you um, on your gear. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so, Aaron, uh, any other parting words? Um, we're kind of getting towards the end of the show here. Any other parting words with regards to um, kind of a new person that's thinking about getting out and sheep hunting? Any thoughts on, you know, approaches or planning their trip or anything else you want to throw in there? No, just um, just be positive. Don't go out with the mindset that you're going to come home with something. Just go out with the mindset that you're going to explore and enjoy the beauty of northern BC or wherever you're going to go, you know, and uh and just and with your buddy, just just have a great time. That's pretty much the main thing I see that sours people is they go with expectations and assumptions, and they just set themselves up for a letdown. So just go with eyes wide open and just soak it all up. It's it's unreal. That's awesome, man. With regards to you, you've been like you're one of the most successful guys that I know out there. It seems every year you're you're able to take rams off the mountain and nice good quality rams any any words of advice for somebody that wants to fall in your footsteps and have the success that you have any last uh parting words for that um well i don't know about how success or good a lot of the, the good guys i know don't even post anything that that's the thing some great sheep hunters just like to stay in the sidelines and and they just love it but um just just keep plugging at it, keep picking it apart, and keep going back. Like, I find the reason I have a success is because I go, I go every year. I put my time in. You're not going to get it staying at home. So you, you just got to go. Like you say, I find a lot of guys are like, oh, I'll wait for you to take me or something like that. I'm like, no, don't wait for me. Just plan something with whoever says they'll go and, and go and do it. And just keep putting in your time and, and, you know, and, and just learn from everybody who comes along. Like I, I didn't pick it up. It wasn't all my ideas, all these little backpack tricks or what to eat or what to bring. A, a lot of it's picked up from other guides, other residents that have just taught me, you know, you just, you, you gotta just go in with an open mind and just soak up every little bit of knowledge to cut weight to what works for you, what to, what's better for you to eat. And you can't really knock some guys if they want to do it a different way. It might work really well for them. So if they're, if they're at your same level and they're having fun, then you just got to go with it and work together and get those nice old mature rams. That sounds pretty good advice there, Aaron, for sure. Appreciate that. Well, um, you know, we're coming up on an hour here. I just want to thank you for taking the time and, and thank you for all you've done to support conservation, the Wild Sheep Society of BC, and uh, and uh, always appreciate uh, everything you do for us and all the support you've given us over the years, and and look forward to seeing uh, how you make out in 2021 uh, with your sheep hunt as well. Thanks, guys. Great talking to you, and uh, it's just a speck of sand in all what you guys do for uh, Wild Sheep of BC. So we have, I appreciate that, and I know myself and all, all my sheep hunting buddies do. You guys put in a lot of work. Thank you very much. Uh, likewise, thanks, Aaron, and uh, have a great day. Okay, you as well. Bye-bye.